0: I'm just an old school guy, so I got to go old school mic stand here. Uh, I, am, I am excited for today. I don't know about you guys, but I am on uh, my second cup of coffee, and so I am super jacked up right now and a little fidgety and ready to preach. Uh, and more importantly, I'm ready to proclaim the gospel, which is my favorite thing ever to do. So I'm excited about today. Uh, I just want to start, though, with this passage. Actually, I want to start with an exercise. Let's start with this exercise. I want you to take five seconds and think about a response, an out loud response that you would have to something that amazes you, okay? So just take five seconds, think about it. If someone said something that amazes you, what would you say out loud to them? Okay. Now, turn to your neighbor and say that thing to them. Okay. Okay. Now, in unison, on the count of three, we're all going to say that thing together. Whatever your thing is, I just want to do it in unison. Okay, ready? Three. Now, don't be shy. Belt it out. Two. Come on now. I'm counting on you. One. Awesome. Good news is, I know each of you have it in you. So, when Pastor Kelly is preaching up here and saying something, and I'm over here going, come on, and the rest of you are like, (laughs) I now know that that's not how it has to be. And so today, I'm going to encourage you. There's going to be a couple of times when I'm going to look at you, and I'm going to expect whatever you said to come out of your mouth. Fair. This is participatory. We are not just listening to Pastor Rick. Most people will not find that enjoyable anyway. Just ask my wonderful wife. Okay, so I want to open up with this passage, okay? I want to... I Take a passage from Hebrews that highlights the unbelievable knockout punch. That's what I'm calling it, knockout punch that Jesus delivered by appearing on that very first Christmas, okay? So the first part is going to be Hebrews 12, 18 through 21. It'll be on the screen. Listen to this description of God and the covenant before Jesus. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken. Spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But, starting in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. I love that word, festal gathering. Um, And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In other words, the covenant that God established with his people on Mount Sinai was indeed a perfect covenant. The problem was it was unattainable by any human being ever until Jesus so what happens is, is God says, I'm going to set this standard, and it's described to the people who were following it as... I will revisit this. Something that may not be touched, a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a tempest, a sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Which means God was heavy. He wasn't just this light thing to take and we walk into church and we're like, oh, I love God. And, you know, it was like, God, please Please just stop. Please, this is, a, uh, this is an unbearable burden until Jesus comes. And that's why it says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, a new covenant that paid for, that bought your sins, that covered your sins with the new blood that's better than the blood of Abel, right? That's what he's saying right there. That was done because Jesus came. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that insane? Yeah, let's try it again. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Right, that's the better response, right? The people are going, no God, I cannot take more of you. Now Jesus has said, I have covered that so we can walk in in our festal garb. And sit in our comfy chairs and sing fun songs while we check the score for the Seahawks game. No? Nobody? Whoa, calling somebody out over here. I like it. That changes things. That is why we come. That is why we celebrate. Our entire series has been built around this verse, Matthew 1.23, which says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus The perfect sacrifice, the total and perfect representation of God on earth, and the deliverer of a new covenant came to be with us. That, to me, is insane. He's the author and the creator of a covenant that that just was described as a blazing fire and a tempest. He decides to, God decides to establish a new covenant, which we are forgiven once and for all. And where God says he will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. Good. Amen, right? So Christmas is a celebration of that. And with that in mind, I pray and I hope that we approach the rest of this season starting right now with that in mind. That will change your perspective. That will change how you not only participate today at church, but when you go forth into the stores and that laborer who's been dealing with 25 crappy people for the last hour, and you will will give them a break because Jesus gave you a break, right? When you go to Starbucks and you yell at your barista because they got too much cinnamon in your drink, ah. You will give them a break because Jesus gave you a break. That's what Christmas is all about. And our series, God With Us, is ultimately a celebration of that. So two weeks ago in our first week, we talked about, just want to recover the big idea from that, that we enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we know him intimately in the valleys. And Pastor Kelly did a fantastic job with that message of just talking about how valleys are not a place where you're meant to stay. You pass through. Sometimes it takes a while, but you pass through, and there you get to know God intimately. And then last week, talked about how God whispers because he's close. He's not this, this booming voice that he is sometimes, as we saw in the Hebrews passage. He's not just that, but now he's close, and he whispers, and he speaks to us. Psalm 34, 18, a verse that Pastor Kelly covered, the Lord is close to the broken hearted. Ephesians 2 talks about though we were once far away from God we have been brought close because of Jesus. And I love 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 that that God is near. Today this week we're going to talk about experiencing God in the storm, in the middle of the storms, who here has ever been in a storm of life before? Get your hands up, everybody, or you're lying, okay? All right. We've all been through storms in life. We live in an area, though, honestly, I know it's kind of funny because it was snowing, but that's like the extent of our storms, right? Like we live in a really docile climate, which I'm really, really thankful for, but, but, but that's not the case For everybody, right? That's not the case for most of the United States. But you know what's always fascinated me more than the fact that we have these crazy storms is the fact that we name them after people, right? Like, why would we do that? Sometimes killer storms, and it's like, and it's like, killer storm Bob, right? Right, Bob? Like, you don't want to be known for that. Bob's a nice guy. He doesn't want to be named after a storm, In 1954, I I did a little, I learned this this week as I was preparing. In 1954, uh, meteorologists started naming storms, and they started doing so after their wives and girlfriends. (laughs) I'll just say it. When you do that, you're asking for a different type of storm to hit your life. That's that's what's going to happen. Then, right, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Kelly. In 1979, they decided to level the playing field, and they started using men's names as well, and so they wanted to make sure that everybody was responsible for the terrible uh, recognition of the storm, and then beyond that, they started retiring names of really bad storms. So now there's like a hall of fame of terrible storms, right? Like, what is going on? But now you know, like there's these names, that's how it came about. That's why we have the names of the storms. But here's the thing. Our reality is, is our storms have names too, and you can name them, right? Storm divorce, storm financial trouble, storm illness, and so on and so on and so on. You are very familiar with the names of these storms that we experience in life. But I want to encourage you with this thought today. And this is our our sticky idea or our sticky thought. It's going to be in your notes Never allow the presence of a storm to cause you to doubt the presence of God. Never allow the presence of a storm to cause you to doubt the presence of God. Today, we're going to read a story in Acts 27 about a storm that Paul and some of his companions experienced it's, it's going to be awesome. So if, if you're in your Bible um, or you're on the app, you can turn to Acts 27, and we're going to start in verse 20. So just pay attention to this first line, verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Do you ever feel like that's the case in your life? The storm just comes and doesn't move on. It hovers over you. It continues to rage to the point where you might have given up hope. Don't give up hope. Don't ever let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Verse 21, it says, after they had gone a long time without food, now they're feeling it. Not only they're afraid, but they're without food. Paul stood up before them and said, men, You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Hmm, really, Paul? This is the time that you're going to say, I told you so? But the thing is, is he's not wrong. If you go back further in the story, which we didn't have time to cover, he actually does warn them and they just say, nah, Paul, we're going to go for it anyways. And this happens to us sometimes, right? Sometimes the storms of our lives are just brought upon us, and sometimes we bring the storms on ourselves. In fact, there's oftentimes this, this thing that happens amongst Christians where we look at each other and go, I don't know why God has me in this storm, and the other Christian needs to say, it's because you're stupid, And you brought the storm. You left. And that's what Paul's saying right there. He's like, I told you not to do that. You should not have set sail. You could have saved yourself. But let's do it more graciously than that. Let Pastor Rick be the jerk. Don't say that, okay? Sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes we step into the storm. In fact, I was having a great conversation with Matt before service where oftentimes, if we reflect honestly, that's more the reality, That's just what happens, but that's okay. There is hope at the end of the tunnel. Verse 22 says this But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Somebody here today needs to hear the encouragement keep up your courage. Keep up your courage. Turn to your neighbor and say, Keep up your courage. Somebody needs to know that today you're in the middle of a storm that just feels like it's raging, but you can keep up your courage because you will not be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Then in verse 23, it says, Paul's saying, last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. So they're in the middle of this storm. Paul said, I told you so. Don't worry, though, only the ship will be lost. You will live to fight another day. And guess what? An angel came and stood next to me. What a bold statement from Paul. Like, he cannot be lying about this, right? Like, at this point, for him to be talking about this would be something that would be like, Paul what are you talking about? We're about to drown. Why are you telling us tales of old? And he's saying, no, no, no. An angel actually came and stood next to me. And I will will tell you that he said, do not give up courage. Do not give up hope. You will not be lost today. God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus was not going to leave his disciples. And when he returned to heaven, he left us with an advocate, right? So in this moment, Paul is saying, an angel was there with me. But guess what? Everyone else for the rest of history, you have an advocate too. You have the Holy Spirit now who will stand on your side and you will not be lost to the storm. He will guide you. He will strengthen you. He will encourage you to keep going, and he will lead you through the storm if you're willing to follow Follow him. He did not, and he will never leave your side. Now, Now, when you talk about different storms or just really anything that's difficult in life, whether it's a storm or, or something that you have on your plate that you're really up against. Maybe it's a work thing or a project at school. Um, the one thing that I know really helps me is when I recognize who's on my side, Right when Paul recognized that that Jesus um, that Jesus was not going to leave him, God was not going to leave him. That uh, that the angel of the Lord was there to tell him to keep up his courage. He knew he had the best possible teammate to go through this storm. It matters who's on your side. I'll give you an example. I play basketball on a regular basis. Now I've retired twice, so I'm on my third career. However, um, I get to play with some pretty talented players at times. And one of those players, his name is Eric. And here's the thing about Eric: when you walk into, the... it's not Eric Stone either. No, <laughs> don't get confused because I know he looks like a baller. Um, when Eric walks into the gym, uh, you 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 just think, okay, I am going to my level of play. Like the game of basketball is going to be better today because of Eric. And if he's on my team, there's a good chance we're going to win. There's a good chance that he's going to find that player who's in the corner for a wide open three. Now, I know some of you are like, basketball analogies, really, Rick? Hey, it's what I do. I'm sorry. You just follow me for this short one. That's okay. We'll go into a different one in a second. But he finds that player. He moves differently. He plays above the rim, which is not my area of the world, (laughs) as you can imagine, right? It's just different. And when Eric's on your team, you know you have a shot to win. When you play with Eric, you always believe that there's a chance that you will prevail. And it changes your posture. It changes your attitude towards that specific event. It changes how you respond in that moment. It matters who's on your side. Now, putting Eric aside, if life is this journey that you're on, and you have god you have jesus you have the holy spirit in your life that changes your posture because it matters who's on your side and just like we've been talking about this whole series god is with you god is with us emmanuel i cannot tell you how much that matters you just have to wow You just have to, what was yours, Lindsay? What was your word? Whoa. That's an appropriate response to that fact, okay? It matters who's on your side, and guess what? If you have Jesus on your side, you will live to fight another day. A reminder, never allow the presence of a storm to cause you to doubt the presence of God. Get that in your head today, please. Okay, so there's another story. We're going to pause on our story with Paul. We're going to come back to that in just a second. But there's another story that we see that has a storm involved as well, and we find it in Mark 4. It's actually in Matthew as well, but I'm going to talk through the Mark 4 version, and it's the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And there's actually a painting um, that Rembrandt painted called Christ in the Storm on the Sea of Galilee, and I want to just read you the description that's on the uh, the website for the museum that hosts this painting or has this painting, just because I feel like it really represents how we feel about storms. It says the biblical scene pitches nature against human frailty. If there's ever something that points to how frail we actually are, it's the power of nature, storms. Right? Just look at them. They are terrified. I know you can't really tell because, anyway. Um, but they are panic stricken disciples and they're struggling against the sudden storm. And they fight to regain the control of their fishing boat as a huge wave crashes over its bow, ripping the sail and drawing the craft perilously close. To the rocks in the left foreground. One of the, one of the disciples succumbs to the sea's violence by vomiting over the side. Amidst this chaos, only Christ, at the right, remains calm, like the eye of the storm. Awakened by the disciples' desperate pleas for help, he rebukes them Why are ye fearful? O ye of little faith and then rises to calm the fury and the wind and the waves. Nature's upheaval is both cause and metaphor for the terror that grips the disciples, magnifying the emotional turbulence and thus the image's dramatic impact. So a quick play by play of what's happening in there if you haven't already gathered what's going on. The disciples at Jesus' request, get into a boat, and they decide to go across the Sea of Galilee. But while they're crossing, a huge storm arises. They panic, as most of us would, if not all of us. They panic, and in the middle of their panic, they wake Jesus up, who was beneath them sleeping. Like, he's sleeping through the storm, right? And if you're on the boat, and you're like, why is Jesus sleeping? I mean, I would have that same response. Get him up, let's do this, come on. So he wakes up to their panic and he asks them, as it said there, why do you have such little faith? I mean, what? Jesus, there's a storm. Don't you see the storm that's about to take our boat over? And his response is, why do you have little faith? Talking about a push, right? Jesus is pushing on them. He says, why do you have such little faith? And then he does the thing that is like, oh, or... Whoa. He says, peace, be still. And, the, and immediately the storm goes calm and they are safe. At the command of his voice, the waves and the wind go away. And in that moment, the disciples experience peace, but not just peace from the storm. They now know to a new degree that their Lord and Savior-to-be is in charge of the storm. Not only is he able to get them through it, but he commands it. Because Jesus was in the boat, they experienced peace. And this is the thing that I want you to take with you more than anything else today, and it's in your notes. Real peace is not found in the absence of a storm. Real peace is found in the presence of Jesus. Get that. Real peace is not experienced in the absence of a storm. And you're like, I don't know, Pastor Rick. I don't know if I believe you. I'm telling you, real peace, storm or no storm, is found in the presence of Jesus. So I hearken back to Pastor Kelly's intro. We are helping people know Jesus because that's the only place where real peace is found. It's not found in a trouble-free life, you will never have a trouble-free life. Seriously, like Jesus said, he said, in this world, in John 16, 33, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he also said, take heart, I have overcome this world. Come on, yeah, let's go. Real nice. I love that, G. G. Real peace is found in the presence of Jesus. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I love that. Okay, back to our story in Acts, right? So, so they're in the storm, and, and everything is going um, poorly, and Paul says, I told you so. And then he says, by the way, an angel came and told me that we're going to survive this. And then in verse 23, it says, uh, I'm going to recount what he said. He said, last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, who I serve, stood beside me and said... Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Paul, you're going to make it through this storm so that you can get to the next storm. Come on, right? Like, what? He's telling Paul, you can't go down in this battle because I have more battles for you. Now, that sounds obnoxious. But it's actually encouraging because he can't go down. He has security that there's another storm, another battle in front of him. And and it says, basically, because you're not done, you're not going to die. And I want to tell somebody in here today, if you're not dead, you're not done. Age, whatever. Life experience, whatever. Situations, whatever. If you're not dead, you're not done. Just like they're telling Paul, you have more battles to face. Don't be discouraged by that. Be encouraged by that because you have Jesus with you, Emmanuel, who has overcome the world, who has overcome the world, who commands the storm. God will help God will use what you learn in storms to help you get through new storms. God will use what you learn in storms to help other people get through storms. You can look at a storm in someone else's life and say, do not worry. Jesus is with you and will sustain you during that storm. And I have to be honest, the thing that gets me more than anything else in that is that as a parent, I wish, 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 wish that my kids never have to go through storms except for, that's wrong, because they will. And if they never learn to trust Jesus in the storms, then their life will not be full of peace. And so I pray instead of avoiding the storms that God would be with them. And I pray for my friends, instead of avoiding storms, that God would be with them and that they would experience real peace with the peace and presence of Jesus. So in verse 25, Paul says this again. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. He told me we're going to survive, and I have faith that we're going to survive. Therefore, have faith with me. We're going to get through this. Only the ship will be lost. Paul was wise. He put his faith in the one thing, in the one person who could endure the weight of his faith. Right? If he put his, if he put his faith in the wrong thing, if he put his faith in the boat, it was going to be broken. If he put his faith in the other people around him, it was going to be broken. If he put his faith in his own capacity, it was going to be broken. But he put his faith in the one person, in God, in the one thing that could endure the weight of his faith. He put his faith in the, in the, in the person and the God who commands the wind and the waves, who created the trees that built the boat. He put his faith in the one thing that could endure the storm. His peace and his healing will be with you in, through, and after the storm. In, through, and after the storm. And the only thing that you can control in the middle of a storm is where you put your faith, is in who you put your faith. I love this verse. I'll put on the screen. Psalm 46, 1 through 3 says this. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. I mean, don't graze past that. Right? If the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, what? Can you imagine witnessing that? I was part of, like, the tiniest little earthquake in Spokane, and I was like, whoa, right? Yeah, everybody, We had an earthquake. We're in Spokane. We had an earthquake, people. Check us out, right? I, like, that was the response. It was like, whoa. And it was like, by much movement, right? Oh, whoa, right? Like, the earth opening up and things being swallowed and mountains falling into the sea. That's the picture he's painting. It says, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Sometimes I feel like they should reverse that, right? Like, therefore we will see and not fear, though, though earth give way. And then because of that, God is our refuge and strength, and you're just like, whoa, right? So remember this, we're going to close up with this, peace is not found in the absence of a storm, peace is found in the presence of Jesus. I'm going to invite the band up, we're going to sing a song in just a second, but I want to walk you guys through something because I have a challenge for you this week and for the remainder of this Christmas season because God is with us and because of that we should celebrate wildly and we should do all of the Christmas things. But we should also remember that when times get tough, when storms hit life, that real peace is found in the presence of Jesus. And you know what? The best way I know how to get you there is to put you in front of his word, to put you in front of him through prayer. And so we're going to challenge you this week um, to engage a specific reading plan, a specific admin reading plan. Uh, Pastor Kelly turned me on to this uh, a few weeks ago, and I've actually been been engaging it with my wife and a couple from our community group. We've been reading it in the Bible app together. And so, up on the screen, if you want to put that slide up, uh, if you go into the Bible app and you search for uh, the Advent, the Journey to Advent, the Journey to Christmas, a Church of the Highlands devotional, it will have a few things. It will have a quick devotional, it takes you about two minutes to read. It will have the scripture they use to back up what they're saying in the devotional. And then if you do it with other people, because you can find friends on the Bible app. I know, right? It's crazy. Um, thankfully, I only have two friends, so uh, it makes it really easy to find them. No, that's not true. I actually have three. Okay? Uh, and so, so what, what happens is if you find the Bible plan, you can do it by yourself or you can invite other people to join you but if you do it with other people you actually have a little section to where you can also comment on that and the people that are doing it with you can read that and respond to that and it's actually just been it's been wonderful truthfully it's been wonderful to just put myself in that frame of reference each and every day and it takes 5 minutes and so our challenge to you this week and maybe the weeks going forward but let's start with this week is to Download the app. Hopefully you've already done that or you already have it. Or you can go to Bible.com. As Pastor Kelly said, if you don't have a smartphone or something that you can get an app on, find the Advent reading plan from Church of the Highlands. Start it. Read it. Soak it up. And allow the peace of Jesus to give you real peace through the storm, in the storm, on your way out of the storm. Our friend, Dr. Jerry Sitzer, who you may or may not know, if you've been here for a while, he's been to our church a few times to speak, and he says this. Um, He says, our faith must not simply be about information, rather let it be about formation. And he said that to me a couple months ago when we were sitting having coffee, and it just, it just like hit me. It was like, I love information. Like, I, I play trivial pursuit for fun, right? Like only nerds do that. That's just the reality. Like I love information. The problem is, is that cannot be to the, that cannot be the extent to which my faith exists. If you come and you're hoping that something that I say, or that Pastor Kelly says, is information enough to transform your life, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You are. And that's not even a knock. I think Pastor Kelly is one of my favorite speakers to listen to. That's not a knock on him. That's just reality. But if you want Jesus to form you, to shape you, to encourage you through the storms, to walk you through the valleys, to whisper when you're in the cave, you have to put yourself in front of what he's doing. You have to let him form you. So engage the reading plan each and every day this week if you can. And allow God to speak into your life. Be quiet for two minutes. Take a break for two minutes. When you're on the toilet. Right? Some people are judging me right now. Get off your judgment stool, all right? Yeah. Yeah. Let God form you, let him shape you, let him encourage you and remind you that he is with you, God is with us, that's what this season is about. Do me a favor and stand up, I wanna pray for you guys really quick. We're gonna sing a song and because of what we learned today, because of what God's word did in and through us already, I want you to sing loudly. I want you to, to take that same gusto that you were like, whoa, with and I want you to sing to praise Him. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather, to come around this idea of God with us, that this season that happens every single year, God, I pray it would not be lost upon us the weight of what that did, the way that it totally changed history unlike anything else ever or like anything that will ever come. And God, thank you for the encouragement that even though there will be trouble, you have overcome this world. And that we have an advocate in the Holy Spirit working in our lives, carrying us through the storms. God, I pray that our peace would be found in you, that our faith would be put in the author and creator of the storms, of the boats, of the water, of the winds. God, the person who controls those things, who can say, peace, be still, and those things go away. Let us put our faith in you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. There's a story in the New Testament about a guy named Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? He was a guy who realized his need for Jesus and tried to search him out, but then he couldn't see over the crowd. And this is a part of the world where there's not trees everywhere. There are very, very few trees. But Zacchaeus spotted a sycamore tree, and he climbed up it, and he saw Jesus, and they had this interaction. The amazing part of that story is that decades before Zacchaeus ever knew he needed Jesus, a tree was planted to meet that need. It's the same for you. You're going through the storm, but guess what? A tree has been planted for you to climb in and see Jesus. Your need is already being met. Uh, Pastor Rick, thank you. That was awesome. God is God is really, really good. Um, I just want to remind you of a couple of things before you go. Uh, there's a card on your seat with a picture. Of